episode 116 of In The Move Podcast. I am Pete Shepherd, and I'm here with... Callum Reid. And um, Scotland are still part of the United Kingdom. No thanks, to, no thanks to Andy Murray. No, and I want to know when I get to vote on whether Scotland are going to be part of the United Kingdom or not. <laughs> They've had their say. They want to stay. That's marvellous. Good for them. When do I get <laughs> when do I get my hands on the power? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a stab in the back if we just turned around and said no? Yeah, chalk on. Chalk <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, no, Sporting-wise, we just couldn't cope. Well, yeah, we'd have to. Well, we'd have to disown Andy Murray, which wouldn't be too much of a hardship, would it? Yeah, we'd have to disown Chris Hoy, though. True. Uh, the Curlers, we'd have to disown them. The Curs. <laughs> are they Scottish? They are Scottish, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh no, we can't have that. That's no. Mm. Oh, actually, no, they they've retired anyway. Mm. Yeah, but it would just basically be admitting that we haven't done anything for like twenty years since Torvald Dean quit. Oh, not Tovland Dean again. God, every bloody week. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Who had one minute and 17 seconds? Did anybody ever think we'd end on Bolero either? <laughs> <laughs> every every series of Rotanting on Oysters. <laughs> All right, any other sporting news uh, this week? Well, no, we're not going to talk about Lampard. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that did not go down well in the pub I was in. It went down well in the pub I was in, but I, just, I think it was neutral, so they, they all thought it was funny. It was quite funny. <laughs> to- <laughs> totes hilarious. <laughs> okay, all right. So we've got some news this week, and it's all foreign language submissions. There are four. Oh God. Okay. But they're not random countries that you've never okay. heard of, you know. So. First of all, we'll start with France. Um, do you want to guess what they've submitted? Not blue is the warmest colour. Not blue is the warmest colour. They submitted uh, Saint Laurent. The uh, the one that was the Benello one, not the one that was released earlier. Oh, right. So. Meh. Whatever. Chances. It, I wouldn't have thought strong given the new way that it's set up. Yeah, so. not many people loving it. Canada, um, Belgium. Do you want to guess yeah. what Belgium has submitted? The Dardens. The Dardens, yes. Obviously. And actually, I do think it will get in now. I think it's going to win. Mm. I'm not but, sure about win, but I, I do think, because, well, you used to be able to predict it, you can't, because it was, you used, to, you used to predict the unpredictable, whereas now you just, it's so predictable you can't even do that. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, but how for... many of these films are going to have such a recognisable star? Yeah. that's mm. That's got to help it. It depends what it's up against. I mean, but obviously, given the way they've gone recently, it, yeah, it's the one, it probably is the one to beat. Yeah. Okay, um, Canada have submitted Mommy, the Xavier Dollar film. That is that sufficiently... Is... Is that a sufficiently uh, contemptuous? <laughs> I just <laughs> scoff. <laughs> the chortle. Not queuing up for that one then. Well, he hasn't. Well, I wasn't even queuing up for the ones with Evelyn Groshu in it. So 
That's true. Yeah, if she didn't get you in there. Oh, oh, I'd get in there. <laughs> Four minutes. Oh my in. god. Four minutes Wait. in. Face palming already. <sighs> but um, just want to mention those three films all at Cannes this year. In competition, it's such horseshit. It really is such horseshit that now they feel because there's this panel that goes on international acclaim that the, the, the countries almost feel forced to submit the films that have played at big film festivals. I mean, gone are the but days. But why of, was it? Why was it never like this? Do you think just they know now that it, it's more because of yeah, the committee well, and the critical? I think it is because of the committee. I think because it wasn't just the case if you had to have a big name um, director in order to... Um, because it's the bigger name directors who get shown at the big film festivals. Um, whereas it wasn't the case that people like... like Lucas Moodyson didn't have all of his films um, to, uh, sent to Oscars. I mean, Together didn't get sent by Sweden um, just because it, just because he was a name. And yeah. um, it's the same with Amadova. Amadova didn't get sent by Spain every bloody year, but I mean, now he probably would. You have to wonder maybe if the individual panels have changed as well, like through time in these countries and they're thinking about it in a different way and they're not thinking about it from a tourist perspective. Mm. Which it might have been one time about, you know, bigging up the country and... Yeah, I think now now it's much more geared towards what is actually likely to get nominated from, not for more than, because you see some of them you think, well, obviously this is never going to get nominated. But I think the more savvy countries are, are, are thinking that way more. I mean, Israel has done a very good job over the last five five to ten years of um, submitting stuff that is likely to appeal to the Oscars, rather than necessarily the film. I mean, they didn't send Lebanon. I mean, my God, they didn't send Lebanon. Yeah. <laughs> but Israel, Ajami got in. Oh, my that God, don't get me started on that. <laughs> So they've had some success, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, and lastly we have Hong Kong. And they've submitted, after last year's The Grandmaster, they've submitted yeah. The Golden Era, which is a film by Anne Hui, who did yes. Simple Life. Mm. And it's a three-hour epic romance starring Tang Wai. Nice. So we that, that one was at three. Venice. We- we could do with more three-hour um, epic romances starring Tang Wei. <laughs> we definitely could. <laughs> Maybe the Wong will be three hours. One would hope. <laughs> we can live and dream. We can. Okay, so that concludes the foreign language submissions for this yeah, week. Yeah, considering how briefly we started last week and how ridiculously long the uh, episode was. Let's move on. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this is the problem, though. I can't... I, I've only got a certain amount of time to edit the podcast. Mm. I can't... I've got to be selective with what I cut, otherwise it's just going to look like a Harvey Weinstein hack job. Oh, I'd go with the Weinstein on last week. <laughs> there, there were. I was listening back to it, and I just thought, how did you keep this digression cow? <laughs> I didn't listen to it all. I no, no I know, yeah. <laughs> I'd just be terrible in an editing room, the film. Mm. i just, like... I'd be like, keep the twenty-minute scene with Rosamund Pike making a cup of tea, mm. or something. You're, you're like Bergman with Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> okay, 
So we're going to start this week with Red Light District. Yes. Uh, pimping the films that we've seen in the last month that aren't from this year. It sounded witty when we thought of it. When you thought of it. <laughs> More than it was. I am way. Yeah. So how many films have you got? Five. What? Well, I'm including a couple that I've mentioned, but over the last couple of weeks, so I've been complaining every other week that we're, we're not doing it yet. Oh, you five didn't. You didn't mention yours from last week, so you do. No, yeah, yeah five. Okay. Well, I've got three, so. Okay, I'll start. Okay. Elena. Yes! <laughs> which Zvigintsev. I blind bought. Yeah, is... there's Zvig... Andrei Zvigintsev, which I blind bought because I was. Long story short, because I don't want this podcast to go on forever. Um, I was watching the Cotillard, which we just talked about on uh, Curzon website. I was looking through their other stuff to see what was there, and it was saying you can watch Elena for ten pounds. I was thinking, ten pounds seriously? Surely it's on DVD now. And when I went on um, Play or Amazon or whatever, it was five quid. So I thought, you know what, five quid for a blind buy is not bad. I can take that hit. You feel like Tully's other films? Yeah, I mean, um, they're both very, very, very as high as they go. Eight out of ten. Yeah. And this isn't that far off. Yeah. Um, I, it's yeah. A, it's a four-star film for me. It's a low four-star film. Agreed. I think, yeah. Uh, and what I find interesting about it is probably also the flaw in the film. What I find in- interesting about it is that how, after about an hour or so, it completely flicks your preconceptions on how it set up the uh, d- uh, the characters uh, for the audience. So you're, you're supposed to feel a certain way about certain characters and a certain way about other characters. And it's actually quite grotesque with where they go with it because yeah. you, uh, and you start thinking well yeah, it's just just just, just plain wrong yeah. and it's good that it gets that kind of reaction out of you but given that it's set it up so um, compartment in such compartmentalised fashion it's, it's when, they, when they when they flip it it it's not it doesn't make for the most satisfactory drama I do think the uh, woman playing the daughter was really good and yeah. if I revisit some uh, lineups, she could well be in there. Um, I think the acting overall, no, uh, outside of that, I mean, nothing spectacular, but very, very, very solid. And I think it's uh, well paced, but slow. I think it's it's paced well for the sort of film that it is. It, I think what's impressive as well is that it, it all takes place in the house. Yeah. Um, and it's shot so well. Mm. You know, it still manages to engage you, even though it, what you're looking at is kind of just furniture for a lot of the time. Mm. Mm. And I like that it isn't, while it's compartmentalised, I like that it doesn't end up being uh, two-dimensional in its characterization. It does make you think. It does make you uh, make judgments on the characters and situations and, how, and what, you th- what you think about them, given what they've done. But it lacks the emotional punch that his previous two films uh, did. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, the return, or especially the banishment. When you have Maria Bonavides flashback, when you get the uh, what her cat, why her character's been acting the way that she has, and that's one thing that is really missing here. But it doesn't stop it being a good film. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and we start with um, basically I've gone back to Best Actress, right. watching Best Actress nominees because I only have nice. fifty left, so mm-hmm. I've watched two. Mm. Uh, first one was Morning Becomes Electra. Ah, yes. Which we talked about off off air last week. Mm-hmm. 
which I didn't like. It's from 1947, Doug, Dudley Nichols directed, um, Rosalind Russell, Michael Redgrave got nominated. It's very dry. It's dry, and it shouldn't be dry because it's a juicy story. Mm. But I, I did really like Michael Redgrave in it. Um, I like him in a lot of things, even though I don't love him in anything, but I, I do I just do like him in a lot of things. Yeah. But I did... I. I didn't think she was particularly good, which disappointed me because it's, well, it's it, a really, it's a really great reputation, role. The reputation on it is that it's the biggest snub ever, and so when you yeah. see, and in terms of snub, I mean, it's not a case of like, oh, that's my preference, so therefore because it didn't happen, it's a snub. No, a, a, a snub is when what is expected to happen doesn't happen. And, and the Academy is thumbing their nose at somebody for by not giving it to them. Yeah. And Loretta Young won for her first nomination. And I think Rosalind Russell actually got up because she was so confident yeah. she was going to win. Yeah. The poll it's, had her winning. and Yeah. And she won um, the, uh, what, what pre-Christmas was in New York in the NBR back then. She yeah. won at least one of those. She was nominated the year before. She was nominated in 1942. So, yeah, but um, that one was a shocker. I do think she's better than Loretta Young, but I don't think that's saying much. No. I no. would def- definitely, John Crawford would be my favourite. 47, uh, whew, top of my head, I think, I uh, definitely nom jo- Joan Crawford Possessed, yes? Yes. Uh, definitely nom her. I think that's the year I'd go for uh, um, Joan Fontaine's probably my runner-up for Ivy, I think. My win is, I'm really Debbie struggling. Debbie Kerr, Black Narcissus. Yeah, uh, isn't that 48? No. No, because we did 48, didn't we? Yeah. It probably is Debbie Carr then, yeah. Mm. But yeah, mm. so. Um, yeah, my next one is the one I was talking about last week, Mifun's last song. I'll just go into it in a bit more detail here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, oh, now that, oh, does my internet work? Actually, I haven't actually checked this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope so. Last week, um, Pete's computer completely shut down halfway, halfway through. Halfway through. So luckily and it was on autosave. Yeah. Or something, so amazingly it was on autosave. Um so basically the setup of this is that she's a did I say this last week? I didn't really get into it last week, did I? You just said it was everything you heard about dogma or something like that. No, no, no. What <laughs> well, what I hate about dogma is the rant that I was gonna have this the postponed rant from last week, the Joe Wright rant of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand why Lars von Trier and his mates would come up with a with a uh, something that you've got to sign a, f- a manifesto that you've got to sign up to in order to make a film, setting out a load of rules, and then you allow people to break them at left and right and still issue them with the dogma certificate. I just don't understand it. Because uh, Susie Beer did Open Hearts, and the whole part of it is that everything's got to be naturally shot, uh, you, um, and to the point that you can't even use uh, artificial lighting. And yet Susie Beer in the opening like credit sequence of uh, Open Hearts has like a heat camera. So mm. it's, ugh. and in this one, I mean, the guy actually says that he admits that he brings props to the set, and uh, it's it isn't just how he found it. He has blocked out a window for for a certain shot, all this stuff. I mean, well, if you've done all that stuff, why are they issuing you with a dogma um, certificate? Why can't you just say it was a film? I was inspired by these rules. I have, actually have, broke a few of them. Have people actually aspired to be part of the dogma and been rejected? Does know. that happen, or do that'd they just be, like? Oh. That'd be so funny if it has. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 
you know you can't join our club, you total loser. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's Anders W. Bertelsen who is in uh, Italian for Beginners, and he's he's very good, and he's very watchable. But it's just oh, I don't know. Um, it I think it's supposed to be a comedy, but it doesn't really come across. I mean, I mean, there's some certain scenes. I just know, you know what, this has got to be a comedy, otherwise there's no other way it works. But it just... Without the language, it. you can't. Yeah. But they're playing it like it's a drama, and so it just... Uh, like, I mean, the, oh, the, the title is Mifun's Last Song. The point of that title is that, oh, here come the pop-ups, here's my STD-ridden uh, uh, computer. The point of uh, Mifun's Last Song is that um, he the, the one guy, um, his little brother, his brother's got... Uh, his, got some sort of mental disability and he pretends to be Toshiro, Toshiro Mifun um, of any sort of um, uh, oh my god Peter you, you're supposed to be a film geek Kurosawa thank you oh my god any <laughs> star of all those Kurosawa movies <laughs> and uh, so he like pretends to be him and like a samurai in the basement while they're just to entertain the guy and it it's it's not that amusing it doesn't really work um, but well, it's it's one of these. It's well acted to a point. It's it's well made to a point, but they're just almost chopping themselves off the knees, and the misogynistic undertones just way too much. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, second best actress nominee, uh, Passion Fish. Yes. From ninety two. Uh, With age appropriate hotness, Mary McDonnell. Mary, yeah, well, I don't know. I thought you were not high on the short hair. Yeah, well, no, but I'm high on, on uh, uh, Mary McDonald in anything. In anything. Okay. <laughs> Mary McDonald, terrific in fa- uh, Passion Fish. I was going to say Fashion Police. It does sound like pa- Passion Fish. <laughs> it, it's such a baity role. It is, yeah. Such a baity role. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a great role, though. It's an original, original film. I really liked it, actually. I, I liked Alfred Woodard in it. Mm. Uh, it's about a soap Strathern. opera actress. Yes, he was great. Soap mm. opera actress uh, who gets, well, confined to a wheelchair after a car crash. Mm. And she basically has to deal with not being able to work again. So, and it, it's funny. It's touching. She's an alcoholic. She's an, yeah. But it, it has got some real humour in it, which I liked. And I think she's caustic enough. It's a bit of a John Allen upside of anger situation at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But you think that if she hadn't done uh, Dances with Wolves, yeah. she'd never have got nominated for this. No. I don't think so. But I, it's, I, I she, don't think it was a great a, year. But it, No, 92 is an absolute I mean, wasteland. Pfeiffer and Lovefield... I, don't understand that nomination. I I, und- I understand it because she also had Batman Returns. It's been a year, and that is the more serious one. Um, and I do think she's good in it, but I I, I understand the nomination. But ninety two is a wasteland. And until I saw um, the best intentions uh, with uh, Penilla August, I didn't have a performance that I thought was absolutely excellent. I think I, I tossed and. Couldn't give a toss. I tossed and turned and couldn't give a toss between uh, Catherine Deneuve in Indochine and um, who, uh, who else is that? Yeah, Thompson Remains of the Day, maybe? Howard's End, I think. That's Howard's it. End, yes. Yeah. Between those two, I, I didn't really care, but I mean, 
the, the absolute standout for me that year is um, August and the Best Intentions. Okay, next. Yeah, okay, so um, I, I'm going to mention one that I think I might have mentioned the other week with Irini, which is Win Win, which is the Belgian one. I gave it a rewatch because I bought it. Um, oh, is that the original? It's not the original. It, it was just the same year. And oh, it was the same year as um, Suleiman Saisavan in um, no King's Speech. So the, what's that? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand ten, and um, it's basically about a uh, guy who finds himself being able to pick stocks, and this is of course just after the uh, cr- uh, credit crunch. And oh it, yeah. So so uh, he's he's a very he's either a very lucky guy, and it, it is a lucky guy because at one point he just try and deliberately lose he can't handle his success and so he deliberately tries to lose and then he just ends up making even more money um but it's an absolutely beautiful performance from oscar van rompuy and it's a complete toss-up for me between him and uh firth and the king's speech that he's my win for the year i just love this performance he's he's just tall gangly but so full of warmth and uh life and it's just a really smoothly made little uh, dutch film and um uh, it's the woman from uh, uh, the the other woman that isn't Carice Van Houten in Black Book, um, Helena Ryan, who's in a few things, um, brunette, dishy. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, nice score, very well made. Um, I like this film a lot. Cool. We might be mentioning the King's Speech later. Really marvelous. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to forego the third one because we're running out of time. I didn't like it. Right. Okay, my last two are ba- both based on the film we watched last week. I rewatched Barbara because of Nina Hoss. Nina Hoss. Mm. Uh, great film. Yeah. And I, I, I have less problems with it now than I did then because I knew the coincidence was coming, which is exactly the same thing that happened to me with uh, Klopka, The Trap, uh, which was, um, uh, I think it was Serbia's submission back in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. When you know that that ridiculous coincidence is coming, yeah. it actually isn't as bad. Okay. Uh, and the other one was the spy came in from the cold because it was a, uh, uh, a most wanted man was John Le Carre one. Yeah, great film. Uh, yeah, and Burton for the win. Not Lee Marvin. <laughs> Hush. Cat Blue is very fun. <laughs> But yeah, I'd I use another agree. F word to describe cat balloon. <laughs> and then a few words after it, because it would be an adjective. Okay. Preconceptions for this week. Yeah, this week we're doing Million Dollar Arm, A Walk Among Tombstones, Magic in the Moonlight, and The Giver. <laughs> okay, uh, preconceptions for Million Dollar Arm. Um, Disney, so it's not exactly going to be edgy. The Blind Side. Uh, John Ham, not mad on. Pardon the perno, <laughs> because I never watched yeah. Mad Men. Oh, I watched like three episodes of Mad Men. Um, uh, who else? No, I like baseball. Um, and Alan Arkin looked like he was just riffing on his usual obnoxious um, supporting actor role. That was that was basically it for the break. That's a bit harsh. Yeah, it's very hard considering I actually prefer him in those to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, baseball? Mm. Yeah, I like it, yeah, obviously. Okay, um, John Hamm, I have no opinion either way on, really. I've mm. not seen Mad Men. 
like baseball, thought this looked a bit like Moneyball. Um, Disney is not a plus. No. At least not lately and not in a live action sense. Mm. And I didn't really know the story very well. So. Mm. Right. Walking on the tombstones, you didn't see. Uh, I, my pre- I was just going to say I didn't see it. I would have seen it. Mm. Because it's Neeson and I've kind of mm. got a newfound love for Neeson after Unknown and Nonstop. Yeah. But um, I didn't have time. I thought the trailer looked interesting. The idea of a private eye uh, or going after someone who's uh, getting him to do it because he's paid the ransom for the money and uh, he's paid it and then they've killed her anyway. I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, it sort of looked in the, in the vein of Taken but without being a straight down the line action movie. And I've read quite a bit about it in the, uh, episode, in the edition of Empire that I read when I went to Spain and I was bored. So... I was looking forward to it. It's about the third time you've mentioned that. Yeah, it's the only time. I, it's only scenario in which I will actually use that rag of a uh, excuse for toilet paper when you run out. Okay, uh, All so right. So tell me about magic in the moonlight. Preconceptions were well, Woody Allen. Um, yeah. Uh, wh- where do you start? <laughs> where do you start? <laughs> because it could be anything. It literally could be anything. Because Blue Jasmine, I really liked last year, but. Before that, I think Match Point was the only decent thing he'd done in 20 years. Mm. Um, this one has Colin Firth and Emma Stone. I like both of them. I prefer Emma Stone. Obs. Obs. And uh, I. it looked... Preconception is it looked a bit lightweight. Yeah. You will meet a tall, dark, stranger-ish. Mm. I'm not seeing uh, I didn't see this because... Um, well, I know I could have seen this today if I'd have really wanted to, but well, he's didn't. not in it. Well, no, it's not even that he's not in it. It's just that Woody Allen films, in general, even when he directs them, I'm not a fan. Uh, when it, whether he's in them or not, mm-hmm. um, the fact, but I find him such a, such an obnoxious screen presence that I can't physically deal with my eyes seeing him anymore. Um, unless, <laughs> he's in, unless he's in Paris, unless Man Alice, you know what, unless Alice Taglioni uh, counterbalances that. Uh, <laughs> it's all so about yeah. the balance. Yeah, I couldn't be asked. It looks it's, it's just just from the post I was thinking Midnight in Paris can't be asked. Okay. Um The Giver. Uh knew nothing about it other than Jeff Richards and Mel Streep were in it. Okay. Because you weren't gonna see this. I was surprised when you texted me saying you've seen it. Yeah, I, what can I say? Um it ended early on Friday. Okay. Uh, I knew that Meryl Streep was in it and that is well, pretty much guaranteed to make me want to watch it Mm. well, not want to watch it, but watch it yeah and um, I didn't I thought it looked a bit teen like it was trying to appeal to the teen market yeah so that was a preconception Mm. oh, and um, Philip Noyce yeah, I love The Quiet American. I love, love, love The Quiet American. But I also like a few of his like more standard uh, action films. Did he do Dead Calm? He did, yeah. That was uh, good. Patriot Games I enjoy quite a lot from my childhood. I liked uh, Salt. That was, mm-hmm. I thought that was really entertaining and well made. But yeah, I mean, for, for me, um, Quiet American is the 
the one real standout on it. I mean, Christor shot it, and, and it's, it's great. Kane, I love that performance with a capital L O V E. That's the most recent um, nomination in the big six categories I've not seen. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, that's got um, uh, Toti Hai Young, which is the reason why I wanted to see a drift. At Venice oh, in 2009. Yes, 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 yes. That film is why, because she was. Oh my goodness! Um, Everybody, try and check out. Anybody, drift. anybody can pack up and go home, no matter what factor we're doing at the end of the day. <laughs> whether it's Watson, <laughs> whether it's Olsen, <laughs> whether it's any kind of son, you're done, son. You're not beating her. <laughs> nice. Uh, Lin, Lin Dan Farm, shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Indosh- and we're back to Indochine. <laughs> All right, million dollar arm. Okay, me, yes. Uh, no, you? I'll do this. You, one. okay. Yeah, okay. All right, so million dollar arm is about John Ham <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. No, no it's um, no. John Ham plays a sports agent uh, in the U.S. whose agency's not doing very well. Um, in a desperate attempt for success he decides to uh, because they love cricket that Indians might in fact be able to pitch as well as they bowl so he gets some money from this Chinese businessman to produce a reality show competition called Million Dollar Arm to find the fastest and best baseball pitchers in India he finds two of them one Suraj Sharma uh, the other is Mada Mittal, I've prepared here. Yeah, well done. And he then puts them into training in America in the hope that they will be signed by a Major League Baseball team. Mm. Whilst living next door to Lake Bell. <laughs> well, let's start with... No, how... she lives with, but live, live while he lives with Lake Bell. Let's start with how much a breath of fresh air Lake Bell is. She's film. the best thing about the film. Definitely, it's not even. There's like she's like two levels above everything else. It's just so natural. Just gives it a level of class it doesn't remotely deserve, mm-hmm. and treats it honestly. Quite frankly, gives it a female touch it badly needs. Oh, sorely, sorely needs. But it's but, like it sets up. It sets up Ham quite two D wise, like um, uh. Acid Man V is like saying how cute Lake Bell is, which is like, yeah, hi, thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah. And um, uh, Ham will only date models, which is like, oh, seriously? <laughs> you're, you're ignoring the model who's renting out your garage? Which, which is pointed out to him. Yes, it is. It is. It's, it's, that is something that I do like about the film, because this is the sort of film where you've got a bloke who's like um, extremely successful. And he's complaining that he's this is going tits up, but unlike something like this is forty, you do see him shop in the Porsche for uh, and da- and trade down in order to actually make a go of it. So it's, yeah, when like, he's going on about I can barely afford my bills, I'm thinking. Yeah, and he's living in a freaking mansion. Yeah, it, but anyway, back to Lake Bell. Always. I, well, hold on. Right, hold on. <laughs> this is. How it's been twenty, nearly twenty years, eighteen years since Jerry Maguire, right? Yeah. This is Jerry Maguire too. Meets the Blind Side. Meets. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. You're I, changing. And I liked Jerry. You're Maguire. changing him. No, he's changing me. 
Jerry Maguire was good, and it was quite original for the time. Mm. And this is just... I don't know. I I have real problems with how they so blatantly uh, write Ham's character. Mm. And the arc of the character just feels to been there, done that. Yeah. And it, you just the script has just gone between him being a jerk and apologising, him being a jerk and apologising, not caring, and then suddenly caring. Mm. And this is too much fluctuation there. It doesn't well, it's come across... Sort of... It gave me a an enchanted vibe. They tried to treat him like Patrick Dempsey's character, like he's just basically a douchebag for the most of it. And then it's almost like an advert for marriage in that all this this guy is a complete dick, but what he actually needs is a good woman in order to like straighten him out. It's almost like Disney propaganda for marriage. Yeah. But Although the- you, w- you wouldn't need much more than Leia Bellis an advert for marriage, would you? Well, you're not going to need your arm twisted, are you? Um, with with Jerry Maguire, I, th- I think this actually this the appeal of this film is the opposite to Jerry Maguire because the appeal of Jerry Maguire or the good part of Jerry Maguire was the sports agent thing. Yeah, that w- that was the interesting part of it. The weak part of it was was especially how his relationship with Zelwick was drawn. I didn't really buy that at all. It's like suddenly he's proposing to him. Like what? What? Uh, whereas mm. with this, the uh, the appealing part of it is the relationship with Belle and how that goes along, and then the, it's more trouble with the curvish when it comes to <laughs> dealing of the base. Dealing of the it's much more trouble with the curve than Moneyball in terms of how realistically it details the baseball. Definitely, definitely. If how if we're talking about insight, this is leagues below Moneyball, and it's double. It's it's single A compared to the major leagues. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And uh, and double and trouble with the curves double A in comparison. And then there's also elements of it wants to be best exotic marigold, because, <laughs> <laughs> because they they try all of the comedy is generated from the culture divide between yes. Americans and Indians. Do you think that it presents a fair view of Indian culture and behaviour? Um. I don't think it presents as realistic a view as something like a monsoon wedding would or a film made in the culture, by the culture, for the culture. Yeah. But I think it makes interesting points in in general in that they're plucking these guys from villages. I think it does a good job in detailing the uh, extremes of that, but... In terms, of, especially when they come to his house and they're like, well, "How many people? Where, how many people live here?" And it's, it's just me, <laughs> and, they, and they can't go. But they don't. That's not the point of the film. That's just more like asides for humour. I do think Tom McCarthy, uh, with the screenplay, yeah, does does the asides for humour well, and in a less obvious way than they they make it out in the trailer. So it's like when that when um, they're um, uh, one of the guys is like uh, doing these like pitching to try and get in, in on the game show and he uh, hits the fake uh, batter in the head and he goes what do we call that manslaughter no juice <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 it works for it, it works for the entertainment value of the film in general and I do think it has quite a bit of entertainment value it, in, in general but yeah it not in not it doesn't have the performance level of something like the blind side 
and I don't think it has the natural arcs of something like the blind side, and so it ends up being a poor man's blind side, especially well, when you're taking the plot more uh, mechanics of Jerry Maguire, which uh, don't really work as well. It's. I thought the guy in the blind side, um, the mm. kid, was terrible. So. Well, he's a very inexpressive actor. Yeah, I thought she was. I thought she was good. Mm. Uh, people rag on the wind, but I thought she was decent. Mm. And it's. I. I hate, liked, haters gonna hate. They are. <laughs> I liked him. Um, That's the, the podcast title. <laughs> haters gone hate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's. I thought the Indian kids were a lot, were quite good in this actually. Uh, yeah. I thought everybody was quite good in it. And Leipzig was there's great in it. Re- so. There's not really a bad performance in there. Ham's okay. Um, the, the one um, of the Arkins. Indian guys is really funny. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, uh, uh, assistant. Yeah. And um, Arkin can do this in his sleep, and half the time the role required him to do it in his sleep. <laughs> <laughs> You can, I hope he did that in one day. That would just yeah. be great. Yeah. He just came in, or oh, an afternoon, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of hours. <laughs> After golf. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I'm down the middle on this. Um, I think you need an interest in baseball, unlike others. Unlike Moneyball, and... Uh, certainly unlike Moneyball, to a degree, trouble with the curve. I think you need an interest in baseball for this to really hit home or yeah. maintain an interest throughout. Or you need an interest in brunettes who wear safaris and looks as and good as Lake Bell does in this film. Or you need more of a perspective from the yeah. Indians and less time with John Hamm, who is mm. fine but not particularly interesting lead. Yeah. I mean, that's Character. the thing with Thomas with Thomas McCarthy. He does a much better job in terms of the, the, the dialogues uh, than he does with the characterisation in this film. Mm-hmm. C plus. Yeah, 6 out of 10. High three stars. Okay. Right, so Walkman the Tombstones. Um, how to talk about this film. Uh, this is uh, starts off in 1991, and uh, cut to eight years later, he's attending AA meetings and he's telling this story uh, of that day and that's the last day he, he uh, drank it because it wasn't as fun anymore after that. He jokingly tells <laughs> what wit, Mr. Neeson. Uh, so, uh, so then he gets approached by one of the guys in his AA meeting, asked to come and speak to his brother. His brother is a local drug dealer whose wife has been kidnapped and killed any, anyway, even though he paid the money. Uh, and uh, he eventually, because he's not immediately forthcoming, eventually uh, persuades Neeson to uh, take on the case. Uh, Neeson is an unregistered private eye now. He doesn't, he can't uh, officially take money, so he takes gift uh, gifts after doing favors. That's how he rolls. Mm. And it, and so the story is Neeson uh, uncovering the uh, uh, past uh, history of uh, numerous similar crimes. Is it piecing them all together? Is it more 
investigative or is it yes. badass? Okay, so it's it's more investigative than badass. And, That's good. But the comparison I would draw in terms of how it is told is Silence of the Lambs. And that is not only because it was on the other day and I happened to see the first like 20 minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's t- done that way because you see the perspective. In Silence of the Lambs, you see them chasing, them trying to find uh, Buffalo Bill. And you also see Buffalo Bill throughout the film having the girl... Uh, Brooke Smith for the, for the win in general in life. Uh, and so it, there's no mystery as to who is doing this because you see in the Science of the Lambs who's doing it. The interesting thing in Science of the Lambs is why. And that is the whole point of Lecter's character because he's giving her the insight into why. He's drip feeding the why is he doing this, uh, blah, 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 blah. But with this... So you get Neeson, uh, this has happened to this guy. Then he starts researching some other similar crimes that have happened. Uh, and then you start seeing the two guys who've done it. And then you start seeing them, yeah, they've done this. And then what are they doing at the moment? They're doing this. Uh, and it's cutting to Neeson, who's trying to catch up with them, blah, 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 blah. And it never, ever, ever gets to the why. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with the film. It's a decent film. It's it's well it's It's well put together. Neeson is uh, solid. Is as solid and decent as you would expect in this in this type of film. He can do it in his sleep. Uh, my one criticism with the score is it it scored like a moody horror film rather than an atmospheric thriller. Okay. So if you had some like a Michael Danner or a, think of like a something like a Bad Education, Alberto Iglesias type noirish score, Ooh, yeah. would go down much better with this type of um, sort of like seedy uh, subject matter. Uh, rather than a sort of like one that's trying to play, it plays out like a sort of orphanage style horror film that, with the score. Um, just doesn't fit it. It's a bit, it's a bit more twinkly and it, it, it doesn't suit the mood. Uh, and it sort of does really live and die on the th- on the, the finale. Um, and it's just when it gets to the finale, it cheats a little bit. And it just cuts away and then just relies on trite, triteness. And, okay, fine, I do get this. This is Manless book, which is right in the middle of a series of books. And I know this film's been in development hell for years and blah, 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 blah. But right. the uh, when you get to the end, it's it, you've seen it, you've been there before, and it, it's, it's cliched because it's been so overdone in the genre. And it doesn't build on what has been a pretty, very, a very solid base up until that point. It just doesn't go anywhere interesting with it. And um, you can see, in a way, why it took so long. Because it's quite an old. It's not. No, it's not a new, fresh. It's not a fresh film by any stretch of the imagination. Well, why would they pick a film that was in the middle of a series? Like maybe it was the most in, most interesting sort of story. It's it's, a, it's an interesting setup. I th- I think so. That um, you've got a guy who's paid the ransom and but they've killed her anyway, and then he wants the guy to go and investigate it because he wants revenge because he's quite a powerful guy he's a drug dealer blah 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 that's not that's quite an interesting setup so I can see I can see why they picked that particular one but um and then of course you've got the drip feeding what else, what else they say they, they show it in the trailer frankly so I'll, I'll say what it is they also then cut it to Neeson like and the kicker is that not only did he kill the three people on the street that day eight years ago he also winged a girl and a, 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 a bullet, a stray bullet went hit her in the eye, and she died. Uh, oh and God! They but they use that as a big 
reveal about two thirds of the way through the film. It's like you gave it away in a trailer. Sorry. So his character. So it's more building towards his characters, uh, rounding out his character rather than fleshing out that of the villains. And when the villains are so two D, and you haven't even got an exterior. Uh, look into why they're doing it. All you just got is one guy saying, "Oh, they're not even human." <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, yeah. So it, it's a decent film. It does what it says on the tin to a, to a degree, but it doesn't build on the uh, on the groundwork that they've done and um, isn't excessively interesting. Uh, all things considered. Okay. Five or six. It's six. Yeah. Okay. It's not far off seven. Better ending, it would be seven. It would be okay. a four-star film. All right. Um, okay. Uh, Magic in the Moonlight. This is Woody Allen. Mm. It's set... Is there jazz? There is jazz. Yeah. And the same font that he always uses. Which is fine. It looks it's because Yeah, but the enough. only reason is because Bergman <laughs> always used the same font. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a classy font. <laughs> but it's it's a bit yeah too much okay um set in the 1920s uh colin firth plays an illusionist called wailing sue i thought you were gonna say called ed norton <laughs> 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 he's wailing sue as in asian so when he does his illusions he dresses up as an asian guy it's very paul muni in uh the good yeah. earth yeah um, so he's, um, just completed a European tour when his lifelong friend, who's played by Simon McBurney, you, do, you do we know him? He's, yeah, you'd recognize him. Google image. Okay. Um, asks him to come to the South of France where a clairvoyant who's Emma Stone is helping friends of his contact, uh, dead relatives. So... It turns out Colin Firth has had experience of unmasking uh, frauds, fraudulent clairvoyance before, and he doesn't believe in the afterlife whatsoever. So he accepts the offer, goes to France, and attempts to reveal her as a hoodwinking charlatan. It's death defying acts meets uh, the prestige. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not nothing like those films, though, tone wise, because. It's all very ambling and pedestrian, but and tepid as well. But I don't know. I found it quite charming, and I quite liked it in general. Um, but I want to start with Firth. Yeah. I don't think he's been as good as this since the King's Speech. Okay. I don't think I've seen him be as funny as this. Full stop. Um, and part of that is uh, Woody's dialogue is typically dry and it suits British people more than yes. it would suit an American um, he first completely embraces the character and he's this egotistical believer of his own hype and he's constantly being derogatory towards Emma Stone and taking pops at her subtly so he's Jose Mourinho yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah except uh, more cheerful less grey yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, he just like, 
she says something like, my mental impressions are cloudy, you know, she she goes into this trance, and she's funny too, she goes into this trance when she's seeing psychic images and says, my mental impressions are cloudy, and he's like, are they cumulus clouds or cirrus? Funny. But it's like, he does it in a, he does it in a good way. I think his delivery of lines um, maximizes the potential of the lines at times. Right. There are other, there are better examples than that. I just, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. one that I remembered. Mm. You know, he puts her down, but it's pleasant to listen to and it's pleasant to spend time with the character, mm. which is not always my experience with Colin Firth. But, or Woody Allen. Or Woody Allen. But it works here. Um, the cast in general are good. Stone's quite gamely. Um, Eileen Atkins is plays Colin Firth's aunt, and she's really good. Well, what's the last one where basically, what was it whatever works? Where Larry Davis just slagging off Evan Rachel Wood, just full stop, which is continuously. Really? Yeah, I quite enjoyed that one. That's one of the few Woody Allen films I actually like. I didn't see it because I can't stand Larry David. No, I did. Uh, I watched it, and I, to be fair, I did enjoy it much more when I came home after having a few beers, and it was on at like one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> than when I watched it sober. But I still think it's one of his more genuine and entertaining ones. Mm. So yeah, well, the the age gap remains anyway. This, he seems to have oh, a quite yeah. A obsession. Yeah. 50-something 50 50 Colin Firth and... 20-something uh, Emma Stone. But barely 20-something. Is she? How old? Mid-20s, would you say? Emma Stone, what was the first thing? Super bad. That was, what, 2006? She was probably 21 playing 17 there. So, oh, so she's nearer 30 then? I would guess. Okay. Just I'm assuming she was older playing younger, because they always do. Yeah. Uh, Hamish Linklater plays the son of the family that Stone's helping and um, he's quite funny because he's completely obsessed with her and serenades her on his ukulele and the film kind of um, makes fun of him. Sean Penn. <laughs> what? Sweet and low down. Does he have a ukulele? Wasn't he a guitar player? Was he? I can't remember. He's a jazz guitar player. Django, Brian Hart, whatever. I try and block as much of that film out of my memory as possible, especially with 99 Best Actor Race. Yeah. I, yeah, we talked about that last week. But yeah. it's, it's, it's a, I found it really boring. Didn't we just? <laughs> we came the hell out of it last week. We, we talked about more about the 1999 Oscars than you would ever want to know. So that's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this... As Woody Allen films often can be, it's very written and the romantic entanglement isn't very complex and it's quite predictable because the nature of Firth's job in the first place is to con people. Mm. So you know that even though Emma Stone, even if Emma Stone's character turns out to be a fake or not. Yeah. That is not going to be something that he sees as, um, you know, completely, completely repellent. You know, he's always going to respect that to an extent. And I, I was thinking about, I'm not spoiling the end here, because I was thinking yeah. about this 
about 20, 25 minutes in, well, you've kind of already decided that this is going to happen. Yeah. And it, it's just a bit... It just feels too written to me and too contrived. And I think there were other ways of getting around that. What, Woody Allen? Mm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I... I was really charmed by it. Darius Conji's cinematography is Lovely. really, really nice. Really yeah. nice. And um, I thought, it, I think it's getting a little bit of a hard time because it's, you know, 50-something on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, mm. I think it's a de- it's decent film. And Why was I going to talk to you about it? I was actually had a genuine reason to talk about My Blue Green Nights so I've completely forgotten what it was. I'm sure it'll come to Con- Because Conji shot that, so that's why it's just come to mind. Damn. Damn, damn, damn. I doubt it was something in Walk Among the Tombstones, anyway. No. Yes, it was. Lawrence was Block. It? It's ba- Walk Among the Tombstones is based on a Lawrence Block novel, and Lawrence Block was the American writer who, who uh, Wong got in to do My Blue Green Nights. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just, just to write the, literally write the script out for him. Like, I don't think he literally wrote I think Wong was writing it, and he was just basically... Uh, Americanizing it for him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Every bloody week. My uh, <laughs> teeth. That's that's the aim. B minus for Magic in the Moonlight. Terribly titled, um, but like it. A walk among the tombstones. Yeah. What? Why did they think that was a good idea? <laughs> Casting Dan Stevens. <laughs> no, he was actually all right in it. I don't don't talk about my Dan that way. Mm. <laughs> Things I don't watch it. So, um. well, he's dead now. He's out of it. Really? Well, I, I never. So I never had. I didn't have that preconception with it. So, but he's he's fine. Okay. He's playing the drug dealer. Oh really? Mm. God, I wouldn't have expected that. Mm. Well, he's not exactly Al Pacino. <laughs> um. So, The Giver is set in a utopian slash dystopian future society uh, where, in a completely non-trite and never-before-done way, it's based on a book that's really ancient and probably all the other ones rip it off, but nobody cares because we've all seen these films and this is being made now, so it sucks to be you. Um, <laughs> way. Um, exactly. Uh, uh, society uh, is managing... Um, uh, through drugs and also through um, uh, birth is managing uh, to because all they're trying to get rid of war and uh, disease and all that sort of stuff uh, they're uh, being hyper controlling of everything to the point that they even once you get to a certain age they control your uh, even control what career you're going to do yeah this is exactly the same as Divergent in that respect. The difference is in Divergent, you get to pick uh, what um, uh, uh, faction you went into, whereas in this, they just give you a job based on what they've observed from you over the years. Uh, so we are dealing with a family, and the family is uh, Alexander Sarsgaard and um, Casey Katie Holmes, Holmes. Are, the, are the parents. And they can't be the biological parents of these like kids who are like 18 or 20 or whatever. <laughs> this lad, I mean, Katie Holmes. It's, it's he can, he can, but Katie Holmes can't be the one. No, <laughs> not really. Not really. She'd be like thirteen or something like that. Well, she can, could potentially, but whatever. 
Well, she needs the work, let's face it. She does. And to be fair, it is actually nice to see her in something. Well, she's so, not bad, isn't it? Yeah, so um, the every, nobody can lie. Um, what are the other things? Nobody seems to really... The, the, there's no... It seems to be no real sexual desire or anything, blah, 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 blah. And so the, 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 these uh, two guys and a girl... <laughs> we're back to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> two guys and a girl... Uh, best mates and they're all about to get given their jobs so um, Meryl Streep comes and gives them their jobs uh, but she doesn't give this lad his job why isn't she giving him his job and then she realises oh yes I'm actually giving him the biggest job ever he's got to be the receiver so that means that he's got to be the lead of this film in in the least homosexual of ways he's got to be the receiver so Jeff Bridges has got to be the giver My head is actually on the desk right now. <laughs> my forehead is on the desk. Oh my it, god. And in the least homosexual ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. How, who'd have thought I'd get there with this? <laughs> He's the receiver of memory. Sorry, I forgot that part of it. He's the receiver. Oh my god, that sounds like I'm. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that sounds too Vader, uh, too written, M- much like one of Woody's scripts. He's the receiver of memories, <laughs> which I forgot. I'm oh my god, god, this is making the best of. Can you come on, hurry up, for God's sake? <laughs> yeah. So the conceit is much like uh, we were talking about last week with the road home. How um, uh, yeah, the flashbacks are told in um, color, and this is told in memory. This is told in black and white, so it's obviously because the the society is so grey and cutting everything off and getting all the life off. Yeah, okay, I see what you're doing, Mr. Noise. It's almost certainly written that way as well, because it's trying to show that this guy is different, so he can see things. So he sees things like the girl's uh, red hair, and so uh, blah, 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 blah. So mm-hmm. he goes to Bridges. Bridges um, uh, uh, touches his hands and... Uh, Gives him some memory. Don't, don't go there again. Well, it's going to go with wrists, but then that's if, he, if I say he grabbed him by the wrist, that's even worse. <laughs> so, um, so he's like showing him different memories every day, and like the kid's trying to share all the stuff that he learns with like his family or his um, friends. But of course, this is like getting Big Brother Streep, uh, who they literally can see everything anyway. Uh, on. Uh, She's getting. She's basically. She's basically in in, uh, Divergent, and I know Divergent is written after this book, but I've seen the the film wise. You've seen it all before, Um, and he literally lives on the edge, uh, uh, and so the edge of their city is like cloudy, and uh, you can't really see out of it, and so no uh, uh, people are. um, What's the phrase they use? Help me out here. Sent to elsewhere. Or something like that. Yeah, elsewhere is the place. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. When they are um, no longer of use. Yes. And um, so that's a very dark city. Uh, in the least... Um, anyway, shut up here. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that. Um, yeah, cheers. <laughs> and Well, you didn't want to do it. No, I definitely did not. <clears throat> okay. I Right, there's a concept here. <laughs> Potentially interesting concept, mm. but they don't do anything with it. No, it's. I mean, it takes half 
halfway through the film for it really to get going and him to develop any independence. And it's yeah. like, well, we know it's going there, so why don't you do it sooner? Mm. Or give give us something else to care about. Yeah, and um, the the problem I have is it's, it's really the host meets Divergent, I think, and not uh, just in well, terms got, of... You got. I was going to say you got. Well, I don't want to put this in the same category, but Lost Horizon did this mm. ages ago as well. Mm. But it, for me, it was like because you, you've got this girl and the, and the lad, and they're trying to build a relationship between those two. And so the idea is that the second they take her off the medicine that she's been taking, suddenly she's going to get horny. And uh, so I think it really does just try in the the worst of ways to just appeal to like uh, try and show to like any sort of like teenage or like any like early teen person like oh oh my goodness what am I feeling <laughs> and um, it just really doesn't work on that level because it's just so two dimensionally done and you it's just it's just too soon and the very idea that suddenly oh you haven't you haven't been taught anything. nothing. To, there's nothing to do with sex in this. It, almost like the island. There's oh, it's, nothing to, it's nothing got to, no logic. No. It's like it's, they've got surveillance on everybody, but people are plotting behind their backs. And how are the a, memories extrapolated? How is the memory boundary got? Yeah, such they've, an impact yeah, they've on got everything? memory. They've got the memory of everybody everywhere. And if this kid, for some reason does what he wants to do how would they know that that would work in the first place b how then does everybody's memory go to everybody or or, or that's the what that's what you're trying to that's what the aim is if only we yeah. could get every all the memory of everybody ever to everybody then everybody would be great yeah it's just so wishy-washy and yeah. i mean it does have it does have a valid point that you know they're trying to prevent hum- they're trying to restrict human emotions because of war and all this this bad stuff yeah and then the fact they're committing mass genocide anyway mm. it's quite like a bleak outlook it's sort of like if you you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't yeah. kind they're, of thing they're, they're highlighting the hypocrisy of it but in a very uh, obvious way yeah and there's this like a scene between Streep and Bridges near the end which is really well act- well I- I think it's well acted and more deserving, uh, deserving of a better film than this. Mm. I think my problem with Bridges is the voice. It just the the voice sort of takes away everything that's interesting possibly about him. It's like almost as if he's having to do that in order to get into character. It's like the crutch thing. It's like if you're playing Sherlock Holmes, you've got to have a a, a stupid hat and a pipe. <laughs> It's like you're using that. That's what you had to do to get into character, and it just seems like this voice is what Jeff Bridges had to do in order to get into character. <laughs> oh God! I mean, the lad isn't no. good. Isn't good. No. He's very no. inexpressive, doe-eyed, and that's it. White tail, uh, Lautner. The girl uh, and the girl is poor man's uh, Chloe Moretz. Yeah. Uh, Does did you? Um, no, it's Taylor Swift. After the fact, I didn't know it was her because I don't really know what she's like. And by the way, doesn't her new song absolutely blow chunks? Oh, Ugh. I love it. Oh I love God, it. no! I have to deal with that every day. Do you? Do you? 
Yeah, I really do. <laughs> oh, I think it's fun. I don't mind the older stuff because it's funny. It's like, you said you needed space. What? <laughs> it's actually quite amusing. <laughs> it's so funny the way she does it. So every time I hear that, I sort of I do smile inside. But with this one, the shake one, I just like no, no, I'm, I'm not digging it. Okay. Well, she doesn't get much time in the film. Um, she gets like one scene. She's such a. I never realised because looks wise, I didn't really know what she looked like. She's such a poor man's brunette, Caroline Wozniacki. <laughs> I mean that is I that is her. I wouldn't go that far. I would. Well, no, I, I don't mind Caroline Wozniacki looks wise, but I me, mean, I think she'd look better brunette. But <laughs> maybe Rory did too. Yeah. Well, Rory just wanted to win stuff. <laughs> I'm on about my career, bitch. <laughs> it's so hot. But the thing is, I like. I do like these di- sports digressions. He didn't do that much at the beginning. I do actually like the way Rory handled that when they asked him about how. He suddenly won a couple of majors mm. after he broke up with her. And his reaction was, well, what else am I going to do? I haven't got anything else to do with my time now. So it, yeah. wasn't, like, it wasn't like, I'm free. <clears throat> no. Although, he could have handled it better overall. Well, oh, the situation, obviously, yeah. <laughs> the invitation I mean, situation. Yeah. But at least, but what I would say is at least he, um, uh, he, at least he ended it before the wedding. That would be my point if that was how I was at the altar. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, So after we dissected the uh, the Wozniacki McElroy relationship on the podcast (laughs) this week, we talked about some films. (laughs) (laughs) You just never know. It could be anything. Um, I want to talk about the end, the last act of the film. It's that baby. <laughs> yes. Goes through the mill. Dear God. I, <laughs> I, I had to laugh. It was hilarious. When he's, he's keep... they're running, the decoy babies. <laughs> you don't even see the baby. <laughs> the decoy cots. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, where is... Where is Brian De Palma and some steps when you need them? <laughs> really? <laughs> if, you can, if you can have an unoriginal idea, at least homage something. <gasps> oh my god! Okay. So my parents. No, I don't care, I'm doing a digression now. My parents went to Venice <laughs> last week. Yeah, the week after the film festival. Well done, well done peeps. And uh, we were having. they came back, so we were having a meal on Saturday night, the family, uh, my brother and his uh, little boy and what have you. And I'm flicking through the iPad, and there's a picture of my dad. And I, I sent this to Irene straight away. <laughs> there's a picture of my dad in front of a Venetian um, uh, backdrop, which is obviously like the canals and what have you. And and the, the the sunlight behind my dad, you can barely see my dad. He's that poorly shot. It's that backlit. And my mum just um, looked at what I, nosed over what I was looking at. She said, "Oh yes, that's my homage to Michelle Pfeiffer." And I thought. Peter, oh, your work, oh. your work here is done. <laughs> you, you are that much of a film geek. Oh, okay. That you she wasn't got... serious. That was a joke. I think she was semi-serious. <laughs> I think she oh, was. Really? Se- I think she'd like seen the light coming off the water and thought, "Roger, stand there." <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's all about the effort. Mm. <laughs> 
Sorry, where but, were we? I'm so, so that baby, oh, my God. Yeah, the baby, so, yeah. By the way, we're called so episode the decoy tots. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell by the way he was clutching the tot, though. It's, he was so like... Yeah. And I'm sorry, right? They're on top of the plane. Well, they're on the bottom of the plane. And he's like... And this friend is, you know, he lets him go and he's like, okay, I'll drop you into the sea from a great height with your little nephew or your little brother. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, see ya. It's like, he said that he needed space and he said, okay, fine. <laughs> there is no way. There is no what? He's like, okay, fine. <laughs> there is no way that kid would have survived that. And the- Never, the- ever. <laughs> him and the kid came back together. Sorry. <laughs> oh my, oh my god! god. <laughs> every well, not every day. Most days I have to hear that song. <laughs> What's this? Oh, it's better than the one with Ed Sheeran. That's true. Mm. Um, she's had some great ones. Love story. I don't. I couldn't tell you the titles. I'm not singing them. No. We're not every week I'm trying to get you to sing off. <laughs> I've tried twice this week. <laughs> um, oh, last words, Philip Nice. Any, I mean, does he do anything of worth here? Or? I think it's, I think it's decently made in general. Mm. What I mean, about the bad CGI at the end? Yeah, you can tell it's cheap. I mean, they've, they've made... They've made their money off it. You can uh, you can tell, and this is where the sort of like the host sort of vibe comes on. It it's not it hasn't got the production values of the host, but it sort of plays to the same demogra- demographic as the host. Yeah, uh, and it sort of uses that sort of um, uh, female coming uh, uh, sexual awareness, or an, a, in this case, awakening, um, to be the main sort of like calling card of what underpins the film emotionally and I don't think that's enough uh, I think you just and it's a shame because I mean I know that the source material is 30 years old and probably has influenced a lot of the films that have predated this but. yeah but at the same time it's cheapened it to mm. to be like the whole story like the Stephanie Meyer yeah. you know mentality and uh, I just think it's um, it's it's one of these sort of scenarios that doesn't end up being half as interesting as it possibly could be. Whereas I do think Divergent, while Divergent was Divergent has a much better performance from Shailene, and it has uh, and it's it moves along at a better pace. I know you can see it. It moves along at a better pace, and while it has the sort of like Hunger Games similarities with the sort of way that they go with it, that's not the necessarily point of why it's a, a good film or not, whereas I think this really does hang hang itself on the concept uh, a lot, and the concept doesn't really deliver, because it, like you said, it's so wishy-washy, and it's so eh, there's yeah. so many holes in the, the logic of it all. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. I'm going to give this I'm going to give it a D plus I was on the border between that and C minus, but I just yeah. think it's too much of a mess. I yeah. think too much is poor about it. But. Yeah, um, 
was trying to log into IMDb on my disease-ridden uh, computer mm-hmm. uh, to see what I actually gave it. But I'm assuming it's a 4 out of 10. Okay. Alright, Shag Marry Kill. Right, well I had three this week and this one is... Uh, is it easy? Not really. Um, I would shag mm. as in watch again uh, right now. I walk them in the tombstones, even though I think it's better than a million dollar arm. Million dollar arm is a very easy watch, and I would, I would, <laughs> delight in watching Lake Bell every weekend for the rest of my life, rather than Liam Neeson's um, drug addict wives. <laughs> there was there's, there's no funky Hansen. There's well, I wish there's there's such so little female perspective in Walkman Tombstones and it, and it is all you know it is yeah and I obviously kill um, the giver because I don't think now it has a reason to exist it may have done 15 years ago it may have even done 5 years ago yeah but, but not now yeah and it's like if fair enough go back in time adapt books that people haven't seen on the big screen that's great just don't do it in a way that doesn't stay true to the era or or that, that it just is a watered-down version of what you've seen before. Yeah. Um, I would shag Mini Dollar Arm, Marry Magic in the Moonlight, because it's 90 minutes and very breezy, and um, Kill the Giver. The double homicide. Okay, the Olsen Factor. Right. Okay, we... Um, <laughs> do we have to... No, well, it wouldn't matter if we included... Um, the films from uh, oh, I don't know, Kelly Time Gone By. No, we yeah, can't no, yeah, do no, that. No. Uh, so, Million Dollar Arm, Lake Bell. Mm-hmm. It's close. Mm-hmm. It is Understandably, close. given the character. But I is think, a... I think... Uh, what about... What her about high the... point, her high point is the sari, right? Which oh, really? Out. Yeah, her high point... Oh, yeah, her, her high point is the sari. And that high point doesn't reach... Uh, uh, Olsen at the beginning of uh, Godzilla. So okay, I, that, well, that's, that's, how, a, that's how I'm going with it. That's a shame because we could have had the bell boost for character um... <laughs> <laughs> for performance boosting character to make the character fitter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Performance making the character fitter than the actress necessarily playing her. <laughs> the opposite of the Soldana situation. We'll still do that, by the way. We'll have okay. that. Even though it didn't work quite yeah, on this occasion, yeah. the, the, but the but Stephen Hawking style, the the, the theory is sound. <laughs> God, you don't. We've got Stephen Hawking later in the year, you know. Oh God, yeah, with with my uh, with my with my childhood chum. Yes. Yeah. Do we have to explain that every time? No, we'll explain it when we get to it. We can't explain that every time. No. We're not doing it every Sorry. time. Right. No. Um, so, oh, yes. So, uh, Bell is, unfortunately, uh, I know, the, the models aren't there long enough for me to pay attention to. Welcoming the tombstones, uh, the people who get killed aren't there long enough for me to pay attention to. And uh, uh, the giver, uh, the girl's jailbait. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Taylor Swift. And, and, and Taylor Swift, poor man's cow, was the acting. No. <laughs> and um, uh, Katie Holmes may well have been once upon a time yeah. but Miss Olsen much like in life wins 
Mm-hmm. And we got Olsen back to a one. Okay. All right. Um, million dollar arm. John Ham is a yes. Oh. I suppose it is Oscar Isaac. I mean, I'm comparing with Melville, but again, and then again, yes. He's pretty it? easily in this, actually. I yeah, think. yeah, he's more chiselled. He's quite chiselled in this. Yeah, and rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, well, I was talking more facially, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I, I, we, how about Lake Bell's boy in this? Oh god, I forgot about him. No, that would be a no just because. Too Maybe cheesy, Sal Da. Maybe it's a Saldana situation because he might be in other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was crap as well, the way they held, handled that. Yeah. Uh, Firth in Magic of the Moonlight is a no. Uh, He'll never be a yes. I've, I've already said would... nice things about him earlier. Yeah, but, yeah, but would he have been a yes in Pride and Prejudice? Yes. Oh, oh okay, fine. So there's a yeah. potential yes there. There Once was. Upon a time. There was, yeah. But it's past the point of say do now. Was was Bridget Jones past the point of say do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> past the uh, point of say do. That could be a podcast title as well. <laughs> oh my god, we're throwing maybe, him out there today. I think I think the English patient was maybe the the borderline there. Right. Um. Do where am I? Yes. Was he in Wild? Or am I just making that up? What? What? Oh, I've not seen that. What's was Stephen Fry? Yeah. No, Jude was. Oh, I don't know. No, Jennifer Ely was in Wild. <laughs> getting the prides mixed up. Yeah. Oh. The, the, the Darcys are being. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the distinguishment of the Darcys. We've got another podcast title. Won't be short of choices this week anyway. Oh my god. Um, right, uh, nobody, nobody in the giver. Um, is Skarsgård, Sarsgård, no? Not, uh, well, I no. Suppose, yeah, say, well, say do, the say very do. kindest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's possible. Would he be a yes in, uh, was he a yes in, what, would he be a yes compared with Isaac in what Maisie knew? I can't remember what I said. I think I said no. Um, no, but it's, yeah, that was for uh, Melville. Oh, but is Isaac higher than Melville anyway? I would say Isaac was marginally higher than Melbourne. Yeah. But See, that's the trouble. Your 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 comparison is much tighter than mine between Watson and Olsen. Yeah. We could always change it again yeah. at some point. Next year. Yeah. Maybe it has to be a, a week of like random horniness. <laughs> there we go. The week when of it's been, horniness. When it's been too long. <laughs> a 2.0 on the range for... Um, Oscar. Okay, so we've got a website, it's moveforpodcast.com. You can check out everything uh, that we've done on there. Facebook in the Move for Podcast, Twitter, at Move for Podcast. Send us any questions, listen to us on Stitcher and iTunes. Next week we have Julianne Moore in Maps to the Stars. Best actress at Cannes. Really? Really? Um, how how do we feel about this? Are we excited? Cronenberg, no. Okay. I've Julianne? Heard, haven't I heard bad things about this? I don't know. I haven't said bad things to you. Maybe it was a rainy. Uh, we also have Denzel Washington, The Equalizer. You know what? I find the trailer highly amusing. Uh, so I, I, I've got time, potentially, for this. 
strangely, strangely enough, I've got time for this. Okay. I think the trailer doesn't take itself seriously. I like that. We have what we did on our holiday with David Tennant and Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike's looks... obviously a yes, but from the makers of Outnumbered means I think it's going to be very kiddie-based It looks comedy. too many kids in it. It looks potentially annoying. I haven't seen the trailer, but just from the, just from the makers of Outnumbered. Mm. Mm. More for my mum got... than me. <laughs> We've got Ida, which is the pa- Powell Pavlikovsky film. It's the guy uh, who did My Summer of Love. Yes, and that's the Polish entry for this year's foreign language Oscar. Don't say Polish to me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's inside joke. Yeah. Uh, and we also have Honeymoon, which is a horror film, so I will probably see that. What's that horror film that they're advertising at the moment? Oh, Annabelle. What was the yeah. co- I'm sure we've seen The Conjuring. I can't remember. I remember the fact that there was a doll. Is this the have one they based this on? Yeah, have they based? Is that what it's based on? It's got to be a pre. It's got to be a prequel to how the doll in the Conjuring became the doll in the Conjuring. I think. For me, you see that girl like bleeding uh, into the eye, and then that's obviously what's possessed the doll. I think. Oh, for God's sake! Who's exactly. in it? That's why I think it looks so bad. But it I didn't could... recognize. I didn't recognize the girl in it, but. It, it, Potential. It looks like she's could be giving a decent performance in the sort of Kerry Russell in the uh, Dark, Dark Skies kind of way. Yeah. Well, it's oh, is that Alfred the one? Woodard's, it's, it's, Alfred Woodard's in it. Just to it, go full circle. It's the one. Back to we're back to um, we're back to Kevin Costner getting it on in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It was outside in the reeds. Outdoor sex with Costner. Good God, JFK! You really did get it about. Did that happen? <laughs> it happened in that was how he got to, he he, started, he did pull her in Dancing with Wolves in the Reeds I think okay right this Annabelle is directed by the guy who did The Butterfly Effect 2 oh no now I, we don't mention this enough but The Butterfly Effect what a terrible film I think I saw about 20 minutes of it and I just couldn't get on with it at all Ugh, just Ashton Kutcher <laughs> just what? in general no Amy Smart's in it. Is that, that's not the girl, is it? Is she the lead? Yeah. That's actually potential. She's really funny in Scrubs. It would be Sadio action. She is, uh, was it Tasty Coma Wife in Series 2 of Scrubs? Is that seriously the character name? <laughs> yes. Basically, um, JD, uh, uh, Zach Braff, we noticed that we didn't do Zach Braff's film this week. <laughs> this last digression because we, yeah, this last digression because we are going to get it in under an hour and a half. Um, uh, basically, he, he has a, a guy come in as a patient who is uh, dead in the co- basically dead, brain dead in the coma, uh, but he actually fancies uh, the wife, and so he's like trying to persuade her to let go and um, uh, turn off the juice while he wants to actually shag her. He ends up shagging her at the funeral. <laughs> that sounds like Garden State. <laughs> Did you know? Um, that, um... Natalie Portman, you, you heard the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl? Yes. That Space. was about Natalie Portman in Garden State. I thought it was about Zoe Deschanel. What, in um, 500 Days of Summer? Yeah, or is it just applied to her after, retrospectively? don't know. Maybe they should duke it out. Maybe they should just go back in time and just get rid of them all because they're just so annoying.
Was pain, or was it shit? 